Yeah, welcome to Exodus Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to start off, and I'm just going to read uh, one, of the, one of the resurrection passages from John chapter 20. But before that, I'm going to pray. So, uh, Father, we say this often, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. It's part of one of the ancient creeds of the church that has been recited probably thousands of times even today, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And apart from his work, um, the text on the page in the Bible is simply text on a page. But if he's real and the invisible world's real, then something can happen because you can show us things, help us understand things, see things, hear things, um, because it speaks to us. So I pray that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, today. Speak to me, speak to each one of us, and show us what you want us to see, tell us what you want us to hear, and then give us the courage and the power to become those kind of people that your word, uh, the Bible, tells us we can be. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to just read John chapter 20. Uh, this is just one of the resurrection. Every one of the four gospels has a resurrection of count, of course. But this is uh, John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that some, someone had rolled away the stone from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Now, this is the Gospel of John. John calls himself the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. He doesn't name himself, but we know it's John. So, um, She ran to, and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I always think that's a little bit humorous. John saying, I beat him there, right? All right. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. If you've never experienced failure in your spiritual life, then this sermon's not for you. If a voice inside your head has never said things like, I'm such a failure, I'm a terrible friend, I'm a terrible husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, or sister, then this sermon is not for you. If you've never heard the voice say, I'm not a very good Christian, this sermon's not for you. If you've never messed up, screwed up, or blanked up over and over again, then this sermon's not for you. You've never indulged in harsh self-condemnation due to your sinful choices and behaviors, and this sermon is not for you. You've never experienced deep shame due to your thoughts and actions that betray Jesus, and this sermon is not for you. If you've never violated the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, including outbursts of anger, sexual fantasy, deceptive speech, an unforgiving heart towards someone who hurts you, and this sermon's not for you. If you really don't struggle with pride at all, this sermon is not for you. 
And if your religious image is spotlessly clean, or at least you want others to think it is, this sermon is definitely not for you. This sermon's not for you, and furthermore, Easter's not for you. And to be quite frank, Jesus is not for you, because you don't need him. If, on the other hand, if regret, remorse, and self-reproach are emotions you are all too familiar with, then this sermon is for you. If in the movie of your life, there are weeks, months, or even years you would love to edit out due to the shameful content, then this sermon is for you. If there are days or minutes or even specific moments in that movie of your life that you desperately want to edit out, never to be seen by anyone, then this sermon is for you. If you have experience in failing Jesus through your lying, your anger, or your morality, then this sermon is for you. This sermon is for you because Easter is for you. And Easter is for you because Jesus is for you. He really is. So what I want to do uh, today, and we're actually going to have five different weeks of Easter. If you follow the church calendar, which if you grew up in Catholic or Episcopal churches, so today is the first week of Easter, next week's the second week of Easter, next week the third week of Easter. So every one of those Sundays, I want to look at people in the Bible at Easter or right after Easter, and what was their experience? Because Easter is for us, it's for us ordinary people, people like us. And the people in the Bible, whether it's Peter or Thomas, or there was a guy named Cleopas, or it was Mary, all these people had these resurrection or post-resurrection experiences. And I think, at least for me, I need more than one Sunday to understand the resurrection and the power of Jesus in my life. So we're going to be doing, I don't know, five or six weeks, and then I think Pentecost Sunday hits. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit then. But today we're going to look at Peter. Uh, just his experience of Easter. He is an ordinary guy. He was a fisherman, blue collar. He was one of the first disciples called, maybe one, of, maybe the first one, but he was called, followed Jesus, probably uneducated. Obviously, he learned how to write because he wrote a letter later on, 30 years later, called First and Second Peter. But look at Peter. So Peter was fisherman. He was imperfect, he was impulsive, he was impatient, he was immature, and he was impetuous. Um, I had to double check what impetuous meant, so I looked it up. It means forcefully spontaneous, all right? I just love the sound of that word, impetuous. But Peter was all those things. So we're like, but, but. He also had a trust and love for Jesus that was real. We can't doubt that. I mean, there was, there was a time where he... Jesus asked the disciples, and I'm just going to look, we're look at different quotes of things that Peter said. Jesus asked the disciples, this was close to the, to the cross and the resurrection. He said, who do people say that I am? Who, who, who do you think I am? And Peter says, Peter always was the first one to speak up, it seemed like. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. So this impetuous, impatient, and perfect Peter, he knew something. And even earlier on when things just said some hard things, this is like maybe a year or so before, and he saw, and some, of the, some of the other disciples left and they abandoned Jesus, and Jesus said, are you going to go too? And Peter's like, well, where, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter's always speaking up, Right? 
And then even after he said this quote of, go to the quote that you're, the one that says, yeah, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Even after he said this, Jesus talked about, Son of Man's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified. Peter's like, never, Lord, and this will never happen to you. So Peter's got this bravado about him. This is never going to, because Peter, his thought of the Messiah was supposed to be the guy that's going to come to make all of our lives better and make them better right now. I mean, he, they, they, they all had, every Jew had the expectation of a Messiah that was going to turn the world right side up again, starting with kicking out the Romans because they occupied Israel at the time, but also just making our lives what we thought it should be. So Peter's this year, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Where else are we going to go? Now we're going to fast forward to the, the day, Thursday, of Jesus' last supper. Jesus gets arrested. And Peter says this to Jesus, and then I'll give you some backstory. No, you will never wash my feet. So last supper, they were celebrating the Passover. All the Passover meal. Jesus did what only servants do, only low class, lowest of the low servants do, and he washed their feet. Keep in mind, he also washed Judas's feet. Incredible, right? But he starts to wash their feet, and Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. Because Peter, again, he's the only one that's him to he, he would always talk. He was kind of, boom, said what he thought. You're not going to wash my feet. And then in that same conversation around the table before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus turns to Peter and he says something that probably rocked Peter's world. If it was you or me, it would rock our world. He says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, who's also Peter, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. It's the night he's going to be going to betray. He turns to Peter and say, "You know, Satan's going to sift all of you." But he's saying this to Peter because he's like Peter, "You're going to mess up." And then Peter says, "I'm ready to go to prison for you, even to die with you." So there's this Peter. I mean, Jesus just said, "Satan's going to mess with you. Satan's going to really try to put you down. He's going to put you in a place of." Shame. He's going to put you in a place of embarrassment. He's going to put you in a place of self-condemnation. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to pray for you because you're going to come back from that and you're going to strengthen others. And Peter, just like Peter, I mean, I, I don't know what it was like when he was around the table, but I'm guessing he said it kind of forcefully, impetuously. All right, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm going to, I'll die for you, Jesus. Peter, you know. Now let's go. So they finish the meal. It says they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, which, you know, a handful of minutes away. And Jesus goes to pray. And then Judas had already betrayed Jesus, so people with clubs and sticks and swords come. Um, and they arrest Jesus. Peter, we're told in one of the gospels, actually took a sword and cut off one of the high priest's ears. Because the high priest was his guard, high priest's guard. It was their guards that came there. So imagine the tension. 
they're all there with Jesus, and all of a sudden this big group in the middle of the night with clubs and swords come, and, and Peter, who just said, I'm going to die for you, because he's thinking again, Jesus is a Messiah, but it's military. So one of the guards there, and Peter, I guess, is so cuts his ear off, Jesus heals the man. But again, Peter's being really impetuous here. But then once they arrested him, the Bible tells us all the disciples ran away. So just hours earlier, Peter said, I'll go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. Hard things, tension, hard things, tension. He runs. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. There was a Spanish missionary priest named Ignatius. You might have heard of Ignatius, but he was a follower of Jesus in the 1500s. And one of the things that he, has, that he did, he suggests to people, and people often it's referred to as Ignatian imagination, biblical, but it's let's put ourselves in the story. And I'm going to ask you to put yourselves in Peter. And I want you to feel and see and imagine what it must have been like for Peter. So you, have to, you do have to use imagination, but not like fantasy imagination. You have to put yourself into Peter. So vibrato, impetuous, impulsive Peter, three hours later denies Jesus, tries to defend Jesus, and then runs away. The Bible then says Peter followed at a distance. So Jesus and all the guards going back to the high priest's house where they're going to have this mock trial. Caiaphas was the high priest. They go into the courtyard. And the Bible tells us that Peter followed a distance. So I don't know what that was like for him. He's following probably at a distance, probably hiding behind, trying to figure out, watching what's happening. What do you think he was feeling? Just confusion, fear, anger, I don't know. But then, he wants to get into the high priest's courtyard. John somehow knows the high priest and gets permission for Peter to come in. It says, Peter's sitting by the Roman guards, warming himself by the fireplace, probably feeling all kinds of tumult in his spirit. All right, the emotional blender was on high. He probably didn't know what he was and Jesus is being mocked. He's not, I don't think he's being whipped yet, but he's being tried. And it's, that You can tell it's going to get ugly. Peter knew, sitting there, this is going to get ugly. And a servant girl comes up to Peter. Peter, the one who said, I will die for you. She says, hey, hey you, you were one of the guys with Jesus. And vibrato Peter says, yes, I was. Doesn't say that at all. He's like, no, I don't know the man. I mean, how many hours earlier was he? I'm going to prison for you. I'm Peter. You're the Messiah. Now he says, I don't know the man. So you can imagine what he must have been feeling, even when he said that. Probably was anger, confusion, and even when it came out of his mouth, he probably thought, I can't. I've just said that. Then it said just a little bit later. Another servant girl says, wait a minute, you have this Galilean accent. Galilee was the northern part of Israel. They were down in Jerusalem. It's kind of like us being able to recognize somebody with a Chicago accent or a southern accent. And they're like, 
you're, you have a Galilean accent, and that's where Jesus is from. You were with him. And this time it says Peter says the same thing. I don't know the man. This time he said it with an oath. Like, I swear on the Bible. They didn't have a Bible then, but it's kind of the equivalent of that. I don't know the guy. So you can see if you're Peter... Now he's, I don't know, we don't know if he's angry, I don't know what it is, but he's probably, he's getting agitated, but he's probably totally torn up because he's hearing what's happening to Jesus. That's twice. Somebody else comes up not much longer later. You, you were one of the Galileans with Jesus. This time it says Peter swore. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. I don't know the man. Lest we all sit in judgment on Peter, we've probably all done something like that before in terms of shying back. I don't, I'll, kind of, I'll, kind of, I'll kind of calm down any of my following of Jesus because I don't want to be the weird one here or whatever, so I'll just tell people I'm religious or I believe in God. But if I say I follow Jesus and the conversation gets weird, and you all know what I'm talking about, right? But Peter's way more intense than that. Because he's like, I don't know the man, blank blanket. And Jesus had told Peter just hours earlier when Peter said, I'm going to go to prison for you. Peter, Jesus had said to him, Peter, I'm just telling you right now, you're going to deny me tonight. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure Peter was like, I can't believe you said that. Of course I'm not going to do that. So after this third kind of vulgar denial, I don't know the man, the rooster crows. Now just sit with me with Peter right now for a second. I can't believe I just did that. I just did that. Probably, I mean, you talk about self-loathing, self-condemnation, reproach, and self-anger and hatred. Peter was probably off the scale. Because he had just done what he thought he'd never, ever do. And then the Bible says he left and he was weeping bitterly. I go back to my opening comments. If you know anything of self-condemnation, reproach, which I think we all do if we're honest, and how you start all of a sudden, you hear these voices in your head saying, what a failure you are. How stupid you are. I can't believe you did that. You think you're a Christian and you did that? And you did it again? You did that last week, now you're doing it again. And then you say you want to stop, and now you're doing it again. I mean, Peter denied three times in a matter of minutes, but we do three, four, five, six times where we do things and something like, ah. I said that again where I was kind of nuancing the truth of that person, so I was really lying, but I, I did it again. Or whether it's sexual morality or whether you have an outburst of anger toward your wife, your kids, the person in the car next to you you've never met, and you're like, I keep saying, I don't want to stop being that way. But I did it again. But Peter says he walks away bitterly, like failure. I, I don't know if it's still a thing, but when I used to teach junior high, which was many years ago, junior high, used to, kids used to go, loser, right? 
Does anybody do that anymore? Loser. In jest, but Peter was a loser. And you know what that feels like when you feel like spiritually, I'm a loser. I'm messing up. I'm not, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not doing this enough. I'm not praying enough. And I do this. I do this. I'm a loser. So take what you felt and multiply it by a lot, and that's where Peter was. All right. Now let's go to the rest of Friday and Saturday. All right? Dark. You're hanging out with Peter, or you are Peter. What, what in the world is going through your heart and mind right now? <laughs> All you're doing, because I do this, replay my failures. Replay my failures. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I, can't, I, can't believe I messed up again. I can't believe I blanked up again. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And this is where, when Jesus says Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, Peter, this is where I think Satan exactly knows what to do. Because sometimes the voice we think is us, or might, we might even attribute it to God. You messed up. That voice, actually, I believe more often than we understand, is the voice of Satan saying, you call yourself a Christian, and that's what you just did? You just said that to that person? You just had this anger outburst? You just clicked on to porn, and you call yourself a Christian? Imagine what the rest of Friday was like for Peter. I doubt he slept. So he had this combination of probably self-remorse, self-condemnation, probably fear, because they didn't know what the Romans were going to do next. We don't know if he stayed to watch Jesus be tortured and whipped. We don't know, but I'm sure he was aware. And he was probably like, I just can't. He's probably sad and angry about that, but also he had had the emotions that were like all over the place. And then Saturday must have been miserable for him, for all of them. They all ran away, but Peter must have especially felt like, now what do I do, and now who am I? I thought I was that. I thought I was going to follow Jesus, and I, I had all this bravado, and I could say things and do things, and now... I don't think I'll say anything anymore because what a failure I've been in the last 24 hours. So, again, Ignatian imagination. And maybe for some of you, if you're like me, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to feel what Peter Peter was feeling because you've failed, you've messed up, you've blanked up, you've done things over and over again, and you know the very ways in which you violated any of the teachings of Jesus, let alone the commandments. And you're like, so guilt... Shame, our emotions you know way too well, and maybe you don't even want to admit it. I know them well. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you do. So then, it's, then now let's go to Easter Sunday, because something now has to change, or we wouldn't have Peter writing First and Second Peter. We wouldn't have Peter getting crucified up down, upside down on a cross years later because of his absolute love and commitment for Jesus. Something changes. So the passage... We read, and other, other Gospels had the Easter story in it. It says, uh, Mary, and there were a couple different Marys and other women that all went to the tomb. It's different Gospels highlight different one of them. It's kind of like, um, you ever see the movie Vantage Point? Anybody seen that movie? It's, it's, a, it's a movie where they keep replaying the scene over from different people's points of view. All right? So Mary goes to the tomb with others. So let's just say Mary. She finds it empty. 
She's talked to by an angel. All right, weird meter, right? But weird meter wasn't that big of a deal for them anymore. They'd seen Jesus heal people. So Mary's like, angel says, go. And one of the gospels says, go tell the disciples. And those angels said this, comma, including Peter, that Jesus is back in Galilee. So even the angels knew Peter must feel really awful right now. Go tell the disciples, Mary, including Peter, that Jesus is going to meet you back in Galilee. Because, again, they were in Jerusalem, so Galilee was, you know, maybe like from here to, I don't know, West Lafayette. All right. Including Peter. What what was it about? I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure later on in life, when, when, or whenever Mary told, yeah, the angel actually specifically talked about you. Peter probably felt like, I can't believe. Then he's probably like, really? The, the angel mentioned me? Yeah, you, Peter. And then, Peter, and then it says Mary goes back to where the, the disciples, the 11 left, because Judas would, had hung himself, and there were other disciples around them, said Mary goes back there and tells them, the Lord is alive. And one of the Gospels says they all thought it was just, ah, it was confused, it was nonsense. Mary and the other women, they must be confused. But <laughs> Scripture tells us, I love this, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. He didn't, he didn't wait very long. Jumped up and ran to the tomb. <laughs> I still think it's funny that John ran faster than him. All right? But I want you to be with me for a second as Peter is running with John, but mainly Peter, to the tomb. And he's, I mean, he's running. He's probably running as fast as his fisherman legs could take him. He's probably, he's probably breathing heavy. I'm sure he's breathing heavy. I'm sure he's running as fast as he's ever run before. But not only physically is he exhausted, emotionally he's probably just like, I mean, he's just, what, what would you feel like then? I'm sure you wouldn't be like, I'm going to go check that out and we'll take some time to walk there. You, none of us would do that. Even if you did, you would only do it because you're like, I'm not too eager to see because I'm such a blank up. I messed up. I mean, Peter's like, I got to see. And boom, 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 boom running and spring. John passes him up. I'm just like, this will be, I, I haven't seen this in a movie yet. Maybe somebody will do that someday. Like Peter, like, wait, what are you doing? And then, you know, but the fact that John even says, the disciple that, the other disciple outran him. I'm I mean, just like, when, when that was ever, when John ever penned that gospel, I wonder if Peter was ever around. I was like, did you have to say that? Did you have to say you beat me there? And John's probably like, yeah, I did. I wanted to because I was. Now, keep in mind, too, John was the only one recording a scripture that was there when Jesus actually died on the cross. So Peter, James, and John were kind of the three that Jesus was closest to. But John, from what we know in scripture, was the only one who was standing there with Jesus' mother, Mary, when Jesus died. So maybe John has reason to brag, right? But they're running, and John apparently was a better miler than Peter Says so John gets there first and stands at the entrance looking in. Peter gets there. He's probably looking at John like, what are you waiting for? He goes in there. Because it was really probably a cave cut into a rock formation. He had to go in. And then Peter sees, wow, these, the grave's closed. 
were kind of folded up and the head covering wasn't there. Scripture tells us John then came in, and John says, and then he believed. Tells us Peter left still wondering, in wonder. So we don't know if, we don't know what Peter was thinking then. When he came out of the tube, he's probably like, and there's a, there's a term that I, uh, a psychology term called disequilibrium. Peter was in major disequilibrium. Nothing in his head was making sense. He's walking out and he's trying to figure this out. So again, denied him three times. I don't know the blank who you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus guy. Self-hatred, self-loathing. I'm a failure. I guess I'll go back to fishing. I don't know. I'm just sort of, I'm so embarrassed. But now he's like, I don't know what to make of this. Because none of them really, even though Jesus told them many times, I have to go, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, Jesus didn't say it that way. I'm sounding like Jesus was impatient. But he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise to the third day. They didn't get it. Like, we don't get a lot of things Jesus wants to tell us. And he comes, so now they're like, oh, that's what he was talking about. And so, got, Jesus shows up a couple times. Just They're in a room. So Jesus just showed up. So he had a physical body, but something was different about it. Again, this is weird meter stuff, but I, if it's not true, then it's a whole bunch of gobbledygook, and it's not even worth our time to gather on Sunday morning. But if it's true, Jesus had a physical body, but was able to show up in the room, said some things to the disciples. We don't see any interaction yet with Peter and Jesus, because you imagine Peter, even if Jesus showed up, Peter was probably in the corner of the room, probably a little bit like, I'm glad you're here, Jesus, but I really don't want to talk about it. I mean, I don't know. Then, then we read uh, in, in John's gospel, says a few days later, we don't know how long, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. That's what he used to do. That's what he knows how to do now. He's not sure what to make of this new reality. Other disciples said, I'm gonna go, we'll go with you. So they're out in the boat. Let's make the boat over here. They're out in the boat. They can't, they're not catching anything. And these guys are seasoned fishermen. They're not catching anything. Somebody from the shore <laughs> yells out, have you caught any fish? No. Try the other side of the boat. Okay. Then <laughs> they catch tons of fish. Maybe not tons. Exaggeration, right? A lot. And then John kind of looks at the fish. Look, oh, that's Jesus. <laughs> I love this about Peter, too. Peter put on his outer garment because I guess when they fish, they are kind of stripped down to their underwear or whatever. I don't know what it was. Who knows what? It says he put on his outer garment. <laughs> And he threw himself into the sea, and he kind of swam, ran back to the shore. Like, nobody else did it. Peter, impetuous, impatient Peter, like, I got to see. And he's just like, same thing, but now he's swimming. I mean, swimming, walking after he ran to the tomb. He's probably, he's following Jesus, exhausting me. But he's like, I'm, but now he's, and he's, and then part of the conversation, Jesus like, um, I'm hungry, let's have some fish. Which, again, Jesus was physical because he ate. And, and again, if, I mean, I've, 
I've heard people say, I mean, I know people, and it's, it's people that it's re- reasonable to believe for some people that Jesus must have, the disciples must have made up this story to fill in all the gaps because Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. And it's like, well, I don't know. All these guys died for this lie then, or it was true. They get back there, they're eating their fish, and they're probably all thinking, Jesus is sitting there chowing on the fish, putting, I don't know what he put on fish, tartar sauce, soy sauce, I don't know what he ate it with. But he's eating, and they're probably all watching him like, you were dead. And then Jesus, here's where we get back to Peter, because again, what was Peter feeling even then? Like, am I back in, Jesus? Am I good with you? Are we good? Two days ago, my dog snapped at me, right? Never does. My dog never snaps at me. I kind of gave her another good whack. She did it again. So yesterday, I had this talk with my dog. Are we good? All right. And you know what I mean? You've done that with your marriage. You've done that with your spouse. Are we good? Are we good? So you can imagine Jesus sitting there thinking, or Paul, Peter. He may not say it, but he's thinking, are we good, Jesus? Because I'm an abject failure. Because even when he denied Jesus a third time, it said Jesus actually went from his place of getting tortured or arrested or whatever, he turned and saw Peter. So Peter knew Jesus knew. So Peter couldn't hide the fact that he was an abject failure. So Jesus then says to Peter in front of the people, Peter, do you love me? So Peter's probably like, Ugh. and he says this, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Peter's probably expecting Jesus, if you love me, you wouldn't have done that because I'm going to hurl shame on you and more guilt. Because that really was a bad deal for me, Peter. He doesn't say that. Peter, he says, I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Kind of, kind of like, be a leader of the people who are going to follow me now. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter might be mildly agitated, like, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. I go, go lead the people. So Peter's probably like, he's probably embarrassed even in front of his other disciple mate friends, and they're like, Jesus asked a third time. Maybe Jesus was m- matching the three denials as a way to how to express forgiveness to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Because see, Peter never stopped loving Jesus in the midst of desire, but just like you and I don't stop loving Jesus, even in the midst of our failures and we do stupid things, we mistreat people, we do... If you're like me, you don't stop loving Jesus, you're just... And Jesus, Peter's like, you, you know all things, Lord. You know everything. I, I love you. And then Jesus says, you know, feed my lambs. So something then changed with Peter it wasn't simply because he had greater self um, you know self respect now something changed in Peter because then you jump straight to the book of Acts which was like 40 50 60 days later 40 days later was Pentecost and Peter's like the very first chapter he's the first one that says hey 
This is what Jesus just ascended to heaven. He's like, hey, he may not have said, hey, I don't know, but I'm thinking that's Peter. We only have 11 now because Judas is out. We've got to find somebody else. So Peter kind of takes the lead. And then, and then uh, the next chapter, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and, and supernatural things happen. There's flames of fire on their head and they're, and they're speaking in other languages. They're proclaiming Jesus. And it's, who, who spoke up? Who then said something? It says, Peter stepped forward and he shouted to the crowd, hey, here's what's happening. I mean, now this is a different Peter. This is bold Peter. It's not impetuous, impatient, spontaneous. And it's not even Peter who's the failure. Now this is bold Peter. And he's like, hey. And he preaches a sermon, most likely with no notes. Like he, I'm sure, I can't imagine. He's like, oh, I got some notes here for this occasion. He just talked right out of his heart and spirit and talked about Jesus who was raised from the dead. And this is the Holy Spirit from Jesus. And 2,000 people came to follow Jesus. And a few days later, Peter and John are walking to the temple, and there's a guy begging right there, and he wants money. And Peter says, look at me. The guy looks at me, because I don't need money. What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. The beggar was lame. So there's this boldness about Peter, confidence. This is not Peter the failure anymore. This is Peter the bold. The guy gets up, walks, and leaps, and dances. Because Jesus healed him. Jesus Peter and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Interesting thing in the book of Acts is that when they were told to shut up, it was never because they were doing good things. So the religious leaders said, don't do anything else in that name of Jesus anymore. But you can be good people, be good religious people, just don't talk about Jesus. All right? And then other places in the book of Acts, says Jesus, Peter, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said this and did this. So it's like this, this Peter who was like average, ordinary, spontaneous, impetuous, uh, immature. What else? What else are we? Me. What else am I? I'm spontaneous, patient, immature, impetuous. But make mistakes. We fail. Done stupid things. Messed up. Blanked up. Whatever. And. Now he's like bold, and, and people's lives are changing because Peter understands it's not about my failures. It's about the power of Jesus in me. Peter had to experience something more than just verbal affirmation. He must have experienced, obviously, this supernatural event of the resurrection and thought, okay, I'm all in. And something in him, and... His life ends when he gets crucified on a cross as persecution for talking about Jesus. He didn't want to, he said, I don't, I don't really deserve to be like Jesus. So he said, please crucify me upside down. So he's crucified upside down. So no more fear in this guy. He could have denied Jesus many times to save from being crucified. He probably could have lived a nice life as a fisherman, wife and kids, but that didn't mean anything to him anymore because something changed. So I, here's my challenge today. I think if you're like me, sometimes I still find myself as this Peter. I'm still kind of wallowing in self-condemnation when I make mistakes or mistreat my wife, my kids, or do something really. I'm still wallowing in that. Instead of realizing, you know what? 
that's, that's covered. Jesus still is for me. Like I said, Easter is for you. I'm, Jesus is for you. And yeah, confess, deal with it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, Peter didn't wait. Well, I got to make sure I'm good. Just like five, six weeks later, he's out there healing people, preaching to thousands. So I don't know, uh, I don't know your story of self-condemnation, self-hatred, reproach, failure, being impetuous, impatient, or immature. I don't know your story, but I think we all have that story. But I'm going to encourage you to realize that you don't, that's not, that is your past story. It's not your present story. Because the power of Jesus, the power of the rest, changes things. And then uh, the last thing we're going to, is this. This is Peter, who wrote this probably 30 years or so later. The book of First and Second Peter are Peter, same Peter, writing these things. And he writes this all, praise to God. So this, he had done this, he'd been living in the power of the resurrection for 30 years. Oh, praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy. Peter probably, when he's writing that, he's probably thinking, and I know what his great mercy is like. His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectations. So let's pray. So Jesus, we, uh, we are a group of people who can be impetuous and patient and we fail and maybe even in the last few days some of us have black marks on our scorecards that we're not proud of. Or we have black marks on our scorecard from days gone by or years gone by that we just can't seem to forget about. They hang around us like a chain. So, so Jesus, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray that you would release us by the power of your blood on the cross. You would release us from the guilt and the shame and the self-condemnation that comes with being human, let alone that comes with being men and women who want to follow Jesus, but we find ourselves tripping and falling because your spirit's in us. So I'm going to pray for the individuals here this morning. I don't know everybody's story. Of course I don't. You do, Jesus. You know exactly where we have all been Peter. And you know exactly that we need you to embrace us again. We don't need to lower our face before you because your, your love for us is like, and your forgiveness is like, we don't get it, but we love it. Thanks for not keeping a scorecard against us. Thanks for your spirit inside of us. And um, we want to be people who change the world. We want, we want to at least change our families, change our neighborhoods. We want to change Bloomington. Not, not through political means. We want to change because we change through the power of the love of Jesus inside of us. It transforms everything. So use us to be a part of your mission to show the world what love and forgiveness is all about. That's what we want to be. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.